Hey everybody, thanks for joining. Just gonna get James in here for a second. Just bear with me. It's always the fun part about a space is you always gotta take that quick second to get everybody set up. Okay, there we go. James, I think you should be a co-host now, so you should be able to have speaking rights. Um, you should see a little uh, indicator there saying that you're a co-host. Okay, there we go. Okay, James, I see you in there. Perfect. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today for what I hope is going to be a fun uh, tunnel club uh, today. Obviously, cold and rainy days at BMO Field are much easier to deal with when TFC are winning, isn't it? Um, my name is Mike Newell, and this is the Tunnel Club TFC Day After Reaction Show. And oh, what a feeling it is. Um, our boys in red, or should I say white and gray? I'm kind of not used to uh, seeing those colors at BMO Field. Uh, they picked up their first win of the 2022 season with a 2-1 victory over DC United. Um, over the next hour or so, we're just going to talk all things TFC. Um, and to help me do that uh, is a man you've probably been reading and hearing from for years on the TFC and TFC2 beat. It's James Grossi, and you can follow him at Grossi, so G-R-A-W-S-E-E, -E, um, here on uh, The Bird Box. Uh, James, uh, you can go ahead and unmute yourself. How you doing, buddy? Hey, James, can you hear us? James, you should be unmuted. So uh, go ahead if uh, you can. Uh, if you can go ahead. Okay, so it looks like James is having a, a little bit of an issue just getting onto the mic. We'll get him going, so that's no problem. Maybe I'll just try this. James, give me a sec here. Try that, James. You should get a little invite there to speak. Um, and that should get you in there. Um, but as uh, as we're getting that up and going, um, this is your reaction show. So we'd love to hear from the listeners. Um, go ahead. There is a request mic button at the bottom left-hand corner there. Go ahead and click on that button. Love to get your thoughts on yesterday's win. Um, in the meantime, I do have Sean on the line as well by... Uh, my uh, House on Lakeshore podcast co-host. Um, so, Sean, maybe I'll, I'll just start with you. Um, how, you know, we, we were in the stands yesterday together um, watching the game and commenting. Um, but uh, just give me your overall really quick thoughts on the match. Um, I, was, I was happy. I mean, uh, I guess the start was definitely not what we – I mean, them conceding – Early regularly is not is, is a slight cause for concern. However, they how they reacted very quickly and bounced back is is a good sign. Um, I, it clearly sees um, clearly shows the past couple of games they've gone to a three man back uh, center back, and that seems to start that seems to be solidifying the defensive core. Now it's just a matter of trying to find out which three guys are going to be the your main three um Mavinga has since the start the first game we haven't seen Mavinga but we've also noticed an improvement in the defense as game continues um Salcido shows what you know 
he might a lot of people who were questioning you know giving him a dp contract but he's proven that to be a big key factor in the improvement of the defense yeah um, did, yeah go ahead sorry no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, one of the, the, the talking points we have here is just to talk a little bit about, you know, the the back three and sort of this in continuing uh, involvement and identity that uh, TFC are presenting to us in, in Bob Bradley's sort of plan um, moving forward. Um, you know, I think that it's it's interesting that you know, we've kind of come full circle on this back three, you know, this was sort of the, the back three was the big thing that kind of took us to the glory uh, days in, in 2017. Um, and now it's it sort of, sort of back at the club, potentially. Uh, we don't know if this is sort of just, uh, you know, a couple of one-offs or if, you know, Bob intends to go back to a, to a back four. Um, we'll see if we can get James uh, in here again. Uh, James, uh, it looks like you're unmuted. So, uh, if your audio is working, I'm trying to work through your your audio stuff here. Um, just give us your just overall thoughts on, on the game. Okay, no, we don't have James yet. Um, so I'll continue to work with James on the audio uh, there. But in terms of, you know, the, the overall, let's just do a really quick recap on the, the match itself. Didn't start off great. <laughs> um, Russell Canal scoring in the 10th minute. Um, and it was interesting on the play. I was doing, uh, I was rewatching the game uh, this morning. And, and one of the things that, you know, Stephen Caldwell had mentioned in the broadcast was, you know, and I've noticed this throughout uh, the start of the season is that sometimes we're a little, a little slow in getting out to crosses. Um, you know, DC crossed a lot in this game, um, almost double the amount of crosses mm-hmm. that TFC um, put into the box during this game. But uh, Lucas McNaughton, who I actually thought had a, a decent game overall, um, a, little, a little slow stepping out to, um, to, the, to the crosser, uh, to Roberta there. And then and Russell Canals was completely unmarked uh, in the box. Sean, you and I kind of gave each other exasperated looks when that went in, um, in the stands. Uh, you know, what was your thought on just sort of the, the defending on the first goal? Well, the, there was no defending. It was simple as that. Like, I, it wasn't just us. It was everyone around us. Just, we all saw that, like, it, we all saw that nobody played. Like, the man was wide open. It was too easy. There was no he had no no challenge on him and and you're 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 asking for a goal to be scored when you're allowing a man to just in the inside the 18 to collect the ball and score without any any defender attempting to get in the way to you know even if it would have been a foul whatever there was no one around him it was too easy yeah and i and i think they're you know again on on the replay just watching it um just a lot just a lot of sort of miscommunication on who needs to do what at the top of the box there. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the broadcast mentioned that you know, Jaden Nelson may should have probably uh, followed Knauss into the box. Um, and he doesn't do that. He kind of steps off and thinks the center backs are going to handle it. And if you're going to do that, there's got to be some kind of communication there um, to let them know that there's somebody's coming. Uh, and just no one really is alive to the danger. Um uh, you know, in terms of just being able to see Canals making that run into the box. Um, and it's a, it's an unmarked header. Um, not much Alex Bono could do there. It was, it was well-placed, uh, you know, but it, it's, you know, although this ends up being a positive day with a victory, there is a little bit of, you know, this team seems to 
come out of the gates a little bit slowly, uh, yeah. you know, to, to start matches. And, and that seems to be a little concerning, uh, you know, in, in just terms of just being ready from the opening whistle. Um, and it kind of strikes its head again, even before the Canals goal. You know, they give up a really good chance to Ola Kamara within the first minute, uh, you know, and, and Bono makes the save. But, you know, it's it's just that sort of attention to detail at the beginning of the match that uh, that seems to be sort of lacking at the, at the start of matches. Um, let's see, James, uh, we're trying to work through some audio stuff with, with James Grossi. Let's see if we can get him in, James. Uh, again, I do see you unmuted. Um, let's try again. Let's, uh, James, if you have some overall thoughts just on uh, the match there. Nope. Okay. We're still having um, some technical difficulties with James, but that's okay. We're going to work through it and try to get him on here because obviously you'd rather listen to him than me mutter on all gate all hour. Um, but, you know, in terms of uh, the, the match going after that goal, I think one of the, the things that we're noticing with this TFC team, and again, anybody in the room, feel free to to hit the request mic button and, and give me your thoughts on this. But there's always a good reaction after they concede, it, it seems like. Um, and, and Sean, after the goal, uh, there seemed to be good reactions to going down and being able to fight back, which I don't think we saw a lot, which we barely saw last year, right? I think this team gave up a goal and we pretty much, you know, thought game over. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just give me your thoughts on that. No, I, I would definitely agree. I mean, that's one thing we you can definitely see is that they're not, you know, they're, you don't see a bunch of players with their heads down after they concede early. They basically, it's like, just they just play on and they continue their game plan. And it almost seems as if that goal is what wakes them up. You know, they get scored against, and now it's like, all right, you know, we need, we're awake now. Let's get it going, and you start to see better ball movement, more fluidity within the uh, the offensive zone. Um, and like again, that goal was based off of, you know, yeah, it was a uh, it was a set play, which um, seems to be something that that they is working well for them. But it just it was based off of the team playing their way and attacking, right? Um, so I think that is is a positive is that they're not, you know, even though they're conceding, they're not putting their heads down and giving up um, outside of the game, the the New York game where we lost four one. That was, you know, that was over in the first half. Right. Um, and at that point, there was nothing they could do. But yesterday it showed they showed that resilience. And that's something that that's a positive sign. Yeah. Oh, OK. We're going to try this here. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the, the overall, um, the overall play, I think that, you know, maybe there's a bit of a, uh, you know, this is part of Bob Bradley being able to, um, to inspire some of the, 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 especially the younger players. I think there is a, a sense that, um, overall, you know, when, when they go down, there's still a tactical identity and how they want to play, right. And, and how they want to, uh, uh, you know, address and attack teams. And what you can see is that when they do have the ball and they do possess um, really well, you can see that, you know, they, they do have the ability to connect really well with each other. Um, and they have the ability to, uh, you know, get forward. One of the things I, I was noticing during the matches, 
although they are connecting well, one of the things that I would love to see them uh, do a little bit better is get in behind and, and run into space. And, and that was kind of at times, I think you and I were talking about it in the stands, right? Like it's, it's, it's something they seem to be missing in terms of their ability to just be able to break teams open when they do have possession. Um, But there is a lot of positive, you know, movement and a lot of positive things happening in attack uh, when they do have the ball. And it does lead to the first TFC goal um, specifically, uh, you know, just getting, being positive and being able to get that corner kick, right. Just being able to progress up the field and be dangerous in and around the box, uh, and then one of the things that we always lament is, you know, on a corner, they tend to try to not beat the, or they don't tend to beat the first man. Uh, but this time, uh, Michael Bradley made a really great run um, and got that flick header in, uh, which made it a pretty easy tap in for Alejandro Pozuelo. Yeah, I, I rewatched that one, and it was it was a well taken corner. It was it like it was them moving. It was it was versus you know players kind of just standing still and watching things develop they made that develop right and that's that again that was a positive sign that you saw out of them um even even the second goal um like when you saw that like that was when you actually saw it on replay because like i said we're in the south end we're our angle is definitely not the best angles to, to watch certain plays but when you saw the replay of the cross and how jonathan dove and literally just stretched out and just like Position like he could, he, he couldn't have been any better. Couldn't have done it any better in his how he just laid his body out, um, reaching for it. Not there was nothing the defender or the keeper could have done to stop that goal. Um, but that was based on them moving, them not, you know, like players getting into the right space and knowing when to attack. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there is a you know a. You know, I, I think there's still a positivity in the team, even though, you know, you go down one nil, they find a way to, to battle back um, and get the and get the tying goal. And this time I thought there was, although DC did create chances, I I, I didn't have that sort of sense of I don't know if they're going to be able to hang on to this right or, or may give up the second goal. I felt there was a little bit more defensive cohesion in terms of the back three. Once they got that tying goal, I felt like they had settled down a little bit. Um, Okay, we're going to try to get James back in here. Um, We got him on as a speaker. Uh, James, first, can you hear us? And second, um, if you can, give us your thoughts uh, a little bit on that first half. Test, test. Can you guys hear me? Uh, we got him. We hey, got gotcha. you. Right. Hey, everybody. Is amazing, but uh, I'm still figuring some of it out. So, uh, so sorry for that All uh, good. Little, little snag there. And, and thanks so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, I was listening to what you guys said, and, and I, I couldn't couldn't disagree with any of it. They've they've had a tendency to sort of start a little bit slow, and and those defensive frailties that we've seen through these four matches were very much, you know, on display in, in that opening. I want to say opening 25 minutes or so they looked uh looked like it w- might be another long day at BMO field but uh but they managed to to claw out of it and and uh it was a, a pretty interesting display we're still really early in the season to be to be taking too many grand you know set in stone ideas about this team mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a lot of growth still to happen both in terms of some of the players that are coming in and in terms of the guys having a better idea of their role but 
it was a it was a promising it was a promising first win for the side and, and you know we'll talk a little bit more about what it meant for them in the grand scheme of things and and in terms of the progress that they're making under Bob but it was a it was a good day for the club yeah and and maybe I can um and I'm going to jump a little bit here in sort of the order I gave you because uh, I was listening to Bob Bradley's post game press conference and you asked him a little bit about um Specifically, I want to talk a little bit about Alejandro Pozuelo um, because he's an interesting figure in this team right now and in the way that Bob is building uh, this squad. You asked him a little bit about sort of, you know, what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, his position, what we're asking of him. What did you make of Bob's response to the question uh, in terms of just how Paz is fitting in into what he's being asked to do on the pitch? I I, um, I wasn't. You're never quite sure how Bob's going to answer a question when you ask him something. Like generally, you know, when you ask a coach something, you sort of have an idea of where they're going to take it. And so with that one, you know, I, I I thought I saw pause, you know, be a little bit more responsible on the defensive side of the ball. I thought I saw him work really hard. So I was just expecting the sort of you know standard quote of you know he's he's doing a good job. He's doing some of the things that I'm asking him to do. Maybe there's a little bit more work to be done, but. You know, Bob's response was was kind of eye opening in that he seemed to say that that maybe what he was asking Pozuelo to do just wasn't in the DNA of the player, and that was a lesson that that he's sort of taken from these first four matches. And you know, you can ask a player to to climb over walls and and break through you know brick buildings for you, but but sometimes if it's not in their nature, then you're doing them a disservice, and you're not going to be able mm-hmm. to get the best out of them. And so. You know, Pozuelo, he scores that goal. He's involved in, in creating the second one. And, and so much of what we've seen from him is his ability to, to float around the pitch and to find those little spaces where he can make those those impacts. And and I think we, we saw that a little bit. And, and so it was a very interesting answer from Bob in the sense that he's not going to be dogmatic and ask a player to do something that they just can't do. He's going he's gonna to figure out what the assets that he has are and, and find the best way to put them all together on the pitch. Mm. And, and you know, it, it's interesting because obviously he gets the goal uh, in this game. And I thought he looked really good today. Like, I mean, let Lars or yesterday. Um, and specifically, one of the things I, I kind of pulled out was the second goal, the the ball in, in into space to find Luca Petrasso, who we're going to talk about in a second, because I, I think it's pretty safe to say for most people in this room, he will be their man of the match. But, um, you know, hit that uh, re- mic request button and feel free to disagree if you think it's someone else. Um, but uh, that's kind of what we have come to expect from him, right? Like that idea of that he's going to be able to pick his head up in those spaces and put players in, you know, fantastic positions to create chances for the team. I just wonder in those moments, you know, does it show the fact that Bob is not as rigid in terms of his philosophies as he's kind of advertised to be, right? Because I think, uh, you know, when he was hired, a lot of, you know, pundits who, who have watched um, Bob's teams probably more than we have on a consistent basis are, are were pretty sort of like he's got away and dogmatic in that way. But I wonder if this is showing a bit of his ability to be flexible with players like Alejandro who can be difference makers when given freedom. Yeah, I think, you know, we uh, with the realities of the world right now, we haven't gotten to spend quite as much face time with, with Bob as I would have liked. And 
you know, Zoom conversations are they're they're useful, but they're not they're not you know the same as as having a face to face conversation. And something Bob said, I can't remember exactly when he said it, but you know, we were talking about his image for this team and the, some of the ideas that they're trying to put to work. And he was pretty adamant that that this wasn't about his ideas and this wasn't about about you know his vision of how the game is supposed to be played and. You know, it's something that I definitely have to do a bit of following up on to find out exactly what he meant by that, because it struck me as a a pretty weird, weird statement for a coach or a, or a pretty unusual statement for a coach to sort of say that that what we're trying to do here isn't necessarily my vision. I If I'm trying to read into it, what that says to me is that, you know, he's working with the team and he's, and he's figuring out what players can do and he's figuring out what suits them best. And you know, there's a lot of trial and error that'll happen in that, but you know, it's pretty interesting. He's a guy with a lot of experiences, and and you know, you'd be it'd be a reasonable expectation to think that a, a coach who's had the career that he has has very particular ideas about how the game should be played. But you know, maybe that's just not of the world and the way of the world anymore. You have to be a, a bit more flexible to the realities around you. So, you know, I I, I said on. Uh, back in November when we had our, our first introductory press conference with Bob that, you know, I, I didn't know how this was going to go, but, but I knew for sure that it was going to be a fun year to sort of see how <laughs> things go and, and to dig into a, to a lot of what happens this year. So it's, uh, it's, uh, we're just getting started. It's a long season, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited to see where this one goes. Uh, absolutely. Um, look, everybody, um, it's not very often that you can get somebody with James's sort of background and knowledge um, on the club, both from a first team, but also from a TFC2 perspective. Um, so if you have any questions or have any thoughts on the game or the state of the club four games in, which is kind of hard to have a state of the club four games in, but we'll try our best. Um, please hit the request mic button. Go ahead and give us your thoughts or your questions. Um, we'd love to sort of hear what you're thinking um, as my wife makes a, is going to be making a cup in the background. Um, but maybe if we can get into this really quickly Luca Petrasso specifically um you know he's really come onto the squad and really made a difference right away and James you've covered not just the first team but TFC2 quite extensively um can I just ask did you see this coming are we now living in the era of Luca Petrasso um and we're just you know it's his world and we're just living in it um did I see this one coming uh you know, when I when I look at two, you know, I've I've been keeping a close eye on two for the past I don't know five or six years or something like that. And the question is always, how capable are the players going to be of of taking what they can show at that level and bringing it to the next level? You know, and that's always a question mark because whether it was USL Championship or USL League One or, or whatever league they they found themselves playing in, it's still a pretty big step to go from that to playing in MLS and. So uh, I'm never one to be like, yeah, this guy's going to be a stud. My my general view is that you know I see him being able to take my the general the general question that I ask myself is is can I see this player be able to do what he's doing here at this next level? Like, does he have you know the strength and the speed and all of those and and the skill to to be able to pull this off when it's a little bit faster? And so. You know, watching two last year, we saw an awful lot of Luke Pachasso. He was a bit of the Iron Man for that team. And, you know, coming out of the season, I was I was pretty sure that that the two guys that I thought were most ready to have an impact 
at this level and, and have an impact doesn't mean, you know, be, be the man of the match or anything like that. It just means come up and do a job and, and be able to hang at this level. And, and so Luca and Kobe Franklin, the, uh, his fullback on the other side were the two guys that I sort of saw from last year's team that I thought could step up to this level and, and, you know, maybe not be starring every match, but be able to, to put in a shift and give you those, those seven out of 10 matches that a coach demands from players. And, and yeah, Lucas, uh, he's taken his chance pretty, pretty well here. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Pierce, uh, we've got you on the line. So go ahead and unmute yourself, Pierce, and give us your thought or your question. Yeah. I was just wondering, James, if you've heard anything about um, where Rashawn walks has gotten to, if he's going to be with TFC two or not. Um, yeah. And that's my question. Uh, the TFC two stuff is it's been pretty quiet on that front. They just they just named uh, Gianni Cimini would be would be taking over the coaching duties, and I know they're due to start later on this month. But with so many moving pieces with the first team, it's it's been sort of uh, on the back burner in terms of what exactly is happening at at TFC two. We haven't heard anything about walks in particular. Uh, they announced a couple of signings for two earlier this week. You know, Temi Antonoglu. Hopefully I didn't butcher his last name too bad. Uh, Antonio Carlini and, and Medi Asusi, two guard, three guys that have been with two and with the academy for a couple of years now, joined uh, the handful of players that they already had on on roster. Last we heard from Bob Bradley in terms of uh, in terms of the draft picks from this year was that there was a hope that that they would be able to join TFC too, but but we haven't heard anything in the last week or so. And and a lot of times with this stuff, it's it's you know, it's not the it's not the top priority at a club in the day to day action of, of an MLS team. So it tends to tends to get sorted out, or or if not sorted out, it tends to get announced at the very last minute. The number of times that we've been, you know, forty eight hours out from the home, from the season opener for TFC two, and, and we get the the news that a bunch of guys have all of a sudden signed for the team. Like you know that all that groundwork has been laid in the month leading up to it, and we just don't quite quite hear it as much and having not been up to the training ground in a while myself it's you don't get to have those little conversations on the side that that give you a bit of a hint of of where some of those things are heading so james maybe this will tie a little bit into one of the points we have here on the rundown um and again for for those in the room if you have questions for james or myself or just thoughts on the match go ahead and request uh the mike pierce I'll, i'll keep you on um for this particular one but one of the things that I, I had in the rundown here is sort of like a Bob Bradley progress report, which I think will kind of have um, each one of these shows. You know, uh, Sean had early earlier talked about the three in the back. Um, you know, obviously the the young players are a focus, whether that is by design or by necessity, um, but they're there and they're playing minutes. You know, how important do you think TFC two will play? Um, you know, a role into the first team going forward under Bob Bradley in terms of maybe reinforcements that he might be thinking about in the summer um, or even going into to 2023? Um, it's so hard to say. We've we've asked Bob a couple of times about two and, and you know, the, the, the angle he's sort of taken with it is that, you know, eventually he wants to, to be a real system where, where they can bring in young prospects or, or develop the guys that they develop in house and offer them a chance to, to really build their way up to the first team. And 
you know, we've seen little bits of that. You know, you got Jaquiel, you've got Jaden Nelson, you've got Luke Pachasa, you got Jacob Schaffelberg, although he's a bit of a different case than some of those other guys. You know, you got Noble, you got Jordan Peruzza. So that pipeline is, is something they've been working on for the last, uh, let's say, five, ten years. You know, I remember having a conversation with Tim Bezbachenko about about it when they put together their uh, something they called the the pro player pathway or something like that. Uh, so it's been it's been in the works for a long time. And, you know, when a new head coach comes in, there's always that that question of how are they going to to maximize that resource for the first team? Because that's what the second team is all about. You know, you, you want the second team to do well. You want them to win. But it's really about about what can this produce for the first team? And so, you know, the indications we've gotten from Bob is that you know, they, they want to have that integration of where whatever it is that becomes the style of the first team is going to be, is going to be how they, they look to play with the second team. You know, um, Mike Munoz ended up leaving in the off season, which was a, a bit of a surprise, but not entirely given the sort of the chaotic nature of the last two years. Um, so, so it's, it's very much a work in progress. That's, that's one of the things that makes two such a fascinating sort of a thing to keep an eye on is it's it's a bunch of young guys that that clearly have talent and the question is you know when when it comes to the demands of being a professional how do they sort of navigate that and then the leap as i mentioned from from that upper tier youth level into the professional ranks is is just massive and so it's uh it's always pretty fascinating but uh you get a lot of good moments and I think if I'm if I'm looking at two right now in terms of reinforcements for this season, I'd I'd suspect that they've probably made the additions that that they were looking to make in the off season. You know, you you add Petrasso, you add um, Kosi Thompson, who's who's another guy who was impressive last year. I I wouldn't be I I honestly thought that Franklin was going to be joining the first team in this off season, so I was a little bit surprised there. Their first team could maybe use some help in the fullback position. Uh, but when it comes to the first team roster, there's always the questions of, you know, roster spots and salary caps and all that sort of stuff. So we'll have to wait and see if that's somewhere where they're where they're going to be looking to reinforcements. But I think as as the rest of the summer arrivals sort of sort of round out the club, we'll uh, we'll have a better sense of, of what's possible. Okay, perfect. Uh, Pierce, any other thoughts or questions? Um, or if not, I'll I can throw you back into the uh, to the audience there. No, I, I'm good. Other than just, I guess, um, I've I've kind of been disappointed in the fact that TFC took their um, name out of the hat for League One Ontario teams because we saw this team uh, in 2017 with Noble Akello, uh, Theo Corbino, uh, Peruzza, all these guys in the squad, and then they pulled it out of League One and moved it into the USS uh, academy structure, and then they went out and dominated the USS uh, Academy Championship game, even. And I'm wondering if um, maybe there's any talk within the organizational structure to bring the academy back into that, maybe a younger level, or just where that stands. I don't know if James has the answer to that, but if he has any insights, that'd be fabulous. Uh, it's, it's good to hear from you, Pearson. I know you've been a uh covering this game for a long time yourself. So it's always nice to, to hear your voice and to chat a little bit. Um, you know, it's, I remember when they made that switch to the USSF and there are too many S's in there. It always screws me up. Um, 
and and I think part of the reason for that was uh, they they did well here in League Ontario, and it, and it was great to see the guys playing against the teammates. And it was also a great opportunity to scout players on other teams. You know, it was a good chance to see if there were any, was anybody that had, you know, fallen through your net that maybe you should keep an eye on. And I think the concern, this goes back to, to conversations I had with Greg Vanny around the time when they, when they made that switch over was that the seasons were just too short up here. And so what they wanted to do by moving down, down to the States was sort of ensure that they had more months of competition at, at that high level. I think that was, if I'm recalling correctly, it's all a little bit hazy because uh, my knowledge of the youth game below two is a little bit, it's a, a little bit weaker below two. Sort of that's when, that's when players, you know, sometimes three is when they start getting on my radar. You start hearing guys' names come up, but two is where I really get a chance to, to see what guys are doing. And so I, I think the impetus for that move was just one aligning with sort of the competition that they're going to be playing against. You'd, you'd like to think, or MLS would like to think that, that their academy system mops up all the best players. And so if your academy is going up against their academy, uh, that can only be good for player development. I know a, a good part of player development is testing yourself against, against the best competition available. And so that's part of what they saw. Part of it was, the extended length of season. And, and I'm sure a, a little bit of a part of it too, was that there's a little bit of maybe glamour is not the right word, but when you as the U 14s or the U 16s or whatever has to fly to Chicago on the same weekend that the first team is flying to Chicago and you're going with the rest of the Academy and, and you know, you're all traveling as a unit and you're playing those games and you're supporting each other. There's a, I think one of the big things here in North America that we've struggled with is, is putting players into those professional environments at an early age so that when they are ready physically to make that step, they're also ready mentally with all of the, all of the baggage that comes with sort of, you know, the, the road lifestyle and, and being expected to perform under pressure and all that sort of stuff. And those little, those little things of, of being on a team that, you know, has to travel around the continent every weekend to play these matches is, is a, uh, an invaluable tool. I think that's part of why we see, you know, Jaquil Marshall Ruddy's in what his third team with the first team. We barely saw any of them the first two seasons, but that ability to you know be on the train and and to live in the to be in the hotel maybe, well maybe the last two years are not the best example of that, but that ability to experience what it is what the life of a professional is like before you have to go out on the field and perform is is uh, I think that's all part of the the learning process that these guys go through, and so the ability to start that younger and younger for guys just makes it that much easier for them to be ready when they're physically ready. I think that would be a factor, but I've never had anybody explicitly lay that out. Uh, that is amazing. It wasn't necessarily meant to become TFC two corner, but it's uh, amazing to get that insight, James, I think, because, you know, I think that's becoming more and more part of the DNA of the club as Bob Bradley is sort of imparting his, um, identity onto the team and it is something we have in the rundown to talk about. Sean, I know you have a question quickly on sort of youth in TFC2, so I'll let you ask and then we'll kind of move on from the TFC2 talk, but, um, but go ahead. Uh, Thanks, just one, just b- Before you get started, Sean, uh, just let me say, and it's nice to speak to you too, I've been following you, you for a while. Um, you know, we don't talk enough about two, and so uh, however many questions people want to <laughs> chat about two, I'm, I'm here for it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Go ahead, Sean. Um, well, thanks again. And I appreciate it, James. Uh, it's a pleasure to finally speak with you as well. Um, so I'll be quick. Um, there was a rumor or uh, an article that the TFC two um, will be playing or potentially will be playing out of uh, York University uh, Lions Stadium this summer. Have you heard any confirmation on that? I have not heard any. I, I saw that rumor, and and as much as it's uh, you know, a little bit funny for the the CPL MLS rivalry that we have brewing in this country, uh, it makes an awful lot of sense. And the reason it makes a lot of sense is that. TFC2 has been very limited in terms of when they can play their matches. I'm, I'm sure everyone, you know, noticed with some chagrin that, that TFC always kicked off on Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. And part of the reason for that was that the, the professional caliber field that they have up at the BMO training ground does not have lights. And so all those matches had to finish before 6 p.m. before it started to get dark. And so by being able to move it over to York Lions Stadium, you have you know, better broadcasting facilities. And I'm sure people, you know, didn't always love the one camera angle view and it wasn't particularly high uh, for those TFC2 games. Um, and then you also have the light. So I think that offers you some 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 flexibility in terms of scheduling these matches. You know, we might, we might see, you know, they'll probably still be looking for Friday night games or, or Saturday games or something like that. But if you if you need to schedule a Wednesday night match, you can do it, and it doesn't have to be at 4 p.m. So I haven't heard anything official about that. Like a lot of things, I'm expecting those announcements will be made in the next couple of weeks with MLS Next Pro set to kick off at the end of the month. Uh, but it didn't it didn't surprise me, and it made an awful lot of sense. You're you're pretty close to the BMO training ground. Um, it's a it's a place that the players will be pretty familiar with. I wouldn't be shocked if, if some of them have. I've had experiences there in the past, and so it, it made an awful lot of sense given given the the inability to host evening games up at the training ground. Okay, perfect. Well, uh, that will be interesting. Uh, again, like you said, for that CPL MLS rivalry um, and, and what kind of games they can get, given York United's uh, schedule is already out, um, and we already know when they're going to be playing there. But uh, James, if I can kind of circle a little bit back to the, to the game specifically and talking a bit about, um, you know, the back three there of McNaughton, Salcedo, um, and, oh, no, I'm blanking on the, the third. O'Neal. Uh, Jung, yeah, on Caden Chung, uh, correct. Um, O'Neal, O'Neal, you're right. You're right. It was yeah. yeah, and O'Neal, sorry. Yeah, you're right, and, um, and O'Neal. Um you know, there were times, again, there were times where they looked pretty good in terms of being able to control a game and, and being able to step into things. And there were times where I felt that, you know, they were, there were, it was a little bit easy for Ola Kamara um, and Edison Flores to, to kind of get in between them and, and run into space. Um, do you think that's more of a, a, a symptom of just the back three not quite knowing each other yet and playing enough games? Or, you know, do you think that's more of a symptom of, you know, the, some cheaper turnovers in the midfield, um, leaving them a little bit more exposed to potentially giving up those chances. I think, I think what I've seen from this TFC team through these four matches that's that surprised me a little bit is is how sloppy they are with the ball in, in a lot of moments. And and when you have so many players that are are forward facing or or so many players that you know are maybe learning new positions or or figuring out themselves at this level. 
you're taking a lot of risk when when you create turnovers in bad areas of the pitch. And, you know, you have to give some credit to D.C. You know, Roberta and, and Kamara are two, two very smart and, and wily strikers. And, you know, they they made a good number of those chances themselves with some, with some clever play. Uh, but for TFC, you can't expose yourself like that. And part of that, I think, is that sloppiness in midfield. Part of that, I think, was that you were playing with a midfield three of – of Bradley and Osorio and Pozuelo. And, and, you know, maybe it, if you have a Ralph Preso in there, if you have a Noble Akello in there or something like that, you have a little bit more of a shield uh, in the middle of the pitch. And, you know, the thing that, that strikes me looking back at it is, is through four games, Bob Bradley hasn't fielded the same back line in any of those four games. Uh, it started out with a, with a flat back four with JQ and, and Jacob on either side of Mavinga and Salcido. And then O'Neill comes in at halftime. And, you know, the second game, uh, O'Neill starts instead, but Schaffelberg's not there, and so it's it's been very very makeshift this through these four matches, and and I think that that is, you know, part of it is that I think they're waiting for some reinforcements, and and part of that I think is is the nature of of these early season things. We've seen Mavinga pick up a knock, we've seen O'Neill pick up a knock, you know, no matter how careful you are in preseason when you're when you're pushing guys and then all of a sudden they're thrown in games, you're always going to pick up these little, little knocks. And then there's the Salcedo suspension, of course. Um, so I, I chalk a fair bit of that up to, to one sort of not having the cohesion of having a group that's played together a whole lot. And two, having a lot of the guys that, that maybe would have been asked to, to step in and provide some support just taking their first steps in those positions. I, I think, you know, playing Jaquiel and Jacob out wide is always going to put a little bit of pressure on your back line just because they're not – the defensive side of the game is, is not something that they're as well-versed in as you might like. Um, but I think he was talking uh, a bit more about the fact that, you know, we Bob Bradley may not know what his best 11 is um, at this point. Uh, as James was mentioning, look, they've changed the back line each time. Um, you know, we you've seen uh, different formations kind of in the midfield or different formations overall for the team. Um, but that sloppiness uh, in terms of just being handling the ball in the midfield and getting attackers and, and turning it over and and having the the back line having to chase back a lot, it, it seems to be something that the team is working through right now. John, uh, do you think there were any anything that you want to sort of point out um, specifically um, between maybe Osorio, Bradley, and Pozuelo um, that might be causing some issues with uh, w- with the back line? Sorry, me. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I just. We, what we're knows, I just think we have to start really questioning. Like, is there an option for for I guess someone with a little fresher legs to kind of liven up that 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 midfield? There seem to be a little bit slow, stagnant. Not you know like you know we all love Michael Bradley. I just have to start to like you know it's almost like I think I bring this up every week. At what point? Does Michael Bradley come off the bench and not start? That's a no. That is a good question. And James, I think we might got you back here. Um, so if you want to unmute yourself and just give us your thought there um, in terms of uh, you know the midfield 
uh, and uh, and just how that's sort of been not as clean as we may have expected. Yeah, I think. Am I coming through? Yeah, yeah, we got you. Okay, okay. I'm not seeing my little blue thing pop up and down, <laughs> so I was uh, a little panicked there. Um, yeah, I think I think part of that is that Michael doesn't cover the same ground as he used to, and I think part of that is is as everyone is taking on these new roles and, and thinking about things and, and you take chances, you're, you're going to make mistakes. You know, there are going to be mistakes and, and sometimes you have to, you have to take risks in order to make things happen. And so, you know, I'm, it's not something that I'm too worried about right now. I don't think that the back three is the angle that Bob is going to be going to. I think, you know, he was asked about it after the match and, and he said that, you know, there was part of it was, was the way that DC played and, and the, their ability to use width with guys like Gressel and Nahar. And so he wanted to counter that a little bit. And then, you know, you're missing Mavinga and, and maybe O'Neill's not a hundred percent. And all those sort of little factors went into to him deciding to, to go with that back three. But, but as with everything else with this team, it's, we have such a small sample size that, that being too certain about anything is, is risky at this time of year. Uh, but making the mistakes that we've seen them make through these four games does make it hard to win games. You know, you look at I can't I can't really think of a single goal that TFC conceded where you just go, okay, that was that was a brilliant play by the other team. You just sort of tip their hat to them and say, Oh, we got beat on that one. Every single one's been been something where they were caught a little flat footed or or they were caught sleeping a little bit or or somebody missed a mark or, or gave a turnover in a bad area and and they were slow to react. So I think a big part of the game at this professional level is is having all of your movements and your decision making sort of at, at the tip of your tongue, sort of sort of not automatic, like not robotic, but it's it's so well ingrained in what you're thinking when you're out there that it just comes off naturally. And at this point of the year, with all the with all the information and ideas and all the newness that that everyone's trying to take on board i think that 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 sharpness is a little bit lower than where you'd like it to be but uh, but again we are four months into this or four matches into the season so you know mls seasons are long and, and as much as every point is as valuable as the other one i always look at this first phase of the season as being more about you know getting things ticking over and building up that that you know, on pitch rhythm and finding out what your best 11 is. And I think that's just as important as picking up points this time of year. Yeah. And then, and, and obviously, you know, on this show and a lot of other shows, um, patience is being preached with this team. Uh, and, and, you know, I think we still need to do that even with a win. Right. I, I think it was important for the team to get three points for all the hard work that they've put in. And that was definitely echoed in Bob Bradley's um, post-game comments and the same with Jonathan Osorio's as well. Um, but you did mention there uh, something that I, I find a bit interesting, and I'd love to get the room's thoughts on this as well. So again, um, if you guys have thoughts, uh, opinions, or questions uh, about yesterday's game, go ahead and uh, request the mic and we'll get you in here um, to, to, to share those thoughts or ask James uh, any questions. But you know, finding that best 11 with so many changes in this organization on top of having Bob Bradley as a, as, as a new coach and sporting director, um, you know, maybe it's hard to ask this question because, you know, who knows what timelines are going to be, but, you know, 
when do you think that TFC um, and, and Bob Riley are going to potentially settle on uh, a quote unquote best 11, at least for this first half until, you know, a certain Italian gets here. Um, you know, when, when do you think we might start seeing Bob Bradley sort of trust an 11 in back-to-back matches? You know, is that after the international break? Well, it'll have to be after the international break, but specifically, do you think it will be kind of after those, those first two games back, or is he still going to keep on sort of tinkering and moving around players to, to try to find the best sort of chemistry? It's funny because coming out of preseason, I was pretty sure that that he had an eleven that he that he liked. You know, the pretty much every preseason game that that we got a report of the the team was split into two halves, and that first eleven was pretty consistent. And that's the starting eleven that we saw against Dallas. And so I sort of thought that he had an image in his head. And you know, anytime you're trying to read between the lines when it comes to to lineups and stuff like that, you always have to factor in. You know, there's been you know se- no no major injuries, but but several little injuries that have sort of forced his hand in a couple of ways. And then on top of that, when you're when you're challenging a young player, like let's take DeAndre Kerr, who who got the start in that in that first game in Dallas, and who was one of those guys who was in what would look like being Bob's eleven from the preseason. And you know, he's a guy who's played his college ball, and and he's looked good in preseason, and. And that first MLS game, he just couldn't really find his way into the match. And when you're when you're challenging young players to take steps forward, sometimes you have to you have to let them taste it and get a sample of it, and then give them some time away to to di- to digest that and to, and to figure out how they find their way at that level. And so, I'm not expecting to see a real first choice eleven that gets rolled out match after match after match until let's say let's say July, July, August, that's sort of when you want to have, you know, a, a team that you know who your 11 are going to be week in, week out, and, you know, injuries and, and maybe the opponent will force some changes here and there, but that's around the time that the, the team, you know, if you're if you're going to make an assault at the MLS Cup playoffs or MLS Cup itself, that's around the time that you'd hope to have all that sort of figured out. And, you know, Insigne arriving uh, mid-season will, will sort of, you know, herald that that time of year is coming soon. I think the hope, um, the hope is sort of that they use this next couple of months to lay the foundations of everything else. And so when he comes, it's just a matter of figuring out how that all changes now that he's here. And and I'm sure we're all expecting there to be, you know, another edition or two. The rumors have been flying all over the place, but so far nothing's been been put to paper. So I'm uh, I'm always pretty pretty laid back when it comes to this sort of thing when um when it comes to mls you you don't necessarily have to start the season off excellently you just have to sort of keep pace and so that when when those summer months come around and and the fixture lists get get really crazy and you start playing six or seven games a month that's when you can really really accumulate some points and really shore up your position in the standings. so you know i think I think one of the things that's been fascinating with Bob, one of the things that, that we haven't gotten a chance to talk to him enough about just because of uh, the limited interactions we've had is, is what he's sort of taken from these games and how he takes, you know, the lessons of every game or, or the learnings as John Herdman likes to call them, um, how he takes that and implements that the next week and, and really pushes the guys. And, 
you know, there's so many players on this group that are either adopt, uh, adapting to new surroundings or, or trying to navigate the step up in levels that, that I think expecting anything to be a hundred percent anytime soon is, is uh, really premature. Fair enough. Uh, Sean, I think you might've had a question there. Um, so go ahead. If you, if you had a question for James. Yeah, I was just going to touch on his point of, you know, uh, having more of a starting 11 later in the season. Um, I guess my concern would be with, you know, the rumor that, you know, there's going to be more summer signings coming in, you know, depending on the amount or, or if anyone ends up, you know, like Bob could end up seeing maybe trading a player or two to that he feels is, is more needed uh, to, to, to build the team around. Um, so could you, could you see like, if we have say, you know, three or four guys coming in the summertime, could that then delay the develop of, of a core starting 11 or could you essentially see, you know, them kind of already knowing who will be in certain positions when Insignia and maybe a player or two comes in, or maybe some of those players coming in are more role players versus starters. Yeah, it's it's always fascinating that uh, transfer windows are they're a lot of fun and and the speculation is great and I'm, you know, I I always sort of part of it's because I, I just can't keep up with all the rumors left and right and and you never you never really get great confirmation and you know rumors are born out of a conversation or an interest and so leaving all that aside, what I would say I would expect of Bob is he's not the kind of guy who who will be making plans for something that's, that's not for sure, if you know what I mean. And so, you know, we know Insigne is coming. We know they brought in Salcedo in the off season. Uh, we know what Chris Mavinga is capable of on days when he's tuned in and focused and, and ready to play. And so, you know, if, if they don't bring in another center back, I think, I think the focus for these next couple of months is, is finding out how to set up the team so that, it functions whether there are new people brought in or not, you know, and, and if we're to believe some of the rumors, it sounds like they're aiming pretty big in terms of guys that have a lot of experience and guys that, you know, are played at the highest levels of football in a long time. So I don't know that those would be depth signings, but I think that you would be looking to integrate anybody sort of slowly. And, and those summer months are really busy. You get a lot of, you know, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday games. And so you don't necessarily want to overtax guys so there is a little bit of of room there for some experimentation and and for for you to try things out and for you to see if guys come in um i i don't honestly know how this is going to play out like i keep going back to insignia because we know that that is coming and i i look at salcedo and movinga and i think that that is a back line that if you if you make it such that they're both comfortable and they're both you know, surrounded with players making plays around them, then that can be a really good back line. So I think I think you sort of have to plan for what you have and leave options open for, for what might be possible. And so uh, there is always the risk that if you bring in a, a whole raft of players in the middle of the season, then you're sort of starting from scratch. But I think that that while that is a risk, if you're doing it to make the team better, then, then that's what you've got to do. But in the meantime, you've got to be making sure that everybody who is here is as ingrained in, in what you want to do and how you see things 
so that so that you have that starting point to build off of when those new additions do arrive. Okay, we do have. Uh, looks like we'll have a question coming, so I'm going to just MD. I'm just letting you in here, so go ahead, unmute yourself, and ask your question or give us your thought. MD, uh, if you are talking, you just need to, on uh, the bottom left-hand corner, unmute yourself um, and then uh, give us your question or thought. Go ahead. Okay, might be having uh, some issues there, just unmuting. Um, but um, as we're getting close to, to wrapping up here, um, if there's anybody in the room that has uh, any questions for James or just wants a general comment about yesterday's game, uh, feel free to uh, hit that mic request button on the bottom left-hand corner there if you are on your phone. Uh, but James, before we sort of uh, leave out here, there's a couple of sort of things left on the run here that I want to talk about. First, um, Jonathan Osorio, I mean – Kind of what else can you say, um, at least from a TFC fan perspective, uh, about him? Um, obviously, a a it's safe to say legend at the club now, right? Like this is a guy who's been ten seasons at the club. He's now got fifty goals, a great finish yesterday, um, and somebody who I think you know is in a contract year. Not think he is in a contract year. Um, and, and I do see Michael Singh in here. So shout out Michael Singh and his piece in the parlay about his, you know, potential contract situation. I mean, is this a player right now that TFC can kind of let go? I, I mean, it, it, I know it's a possibility, um, you know, whether it become the offseason or, you know, with six months left on his deal, he can sign uh, as a free somewhere else. But, you know, is it, it, it should it be a priority for this club to think about, you know, trying to secure uh, Jonathan Osorio on a long-term deal. Yeah, in terms of, of football and where careers take guys, you can never say never in this game. But you know, I think our, our, our friend Martin Bailey put up a put up a bit of a bit of a pretty cool stat the, the other day before the match, and it was something like you know TFC has played 297 games without Osorio and 296 with Osorio, or, or something to that effect. Those numbers might be might not be repeating the numbers properly, but he's, he's as TFC as, as any player has ever been. And, you know, he had options to go elsewhere when he, when he signed this current contract. And so, you know, the question will really be for him. Does, does he want to be the, the one club man that, you know, we thought sort of disappeared from the game, but, but he has the opportunity to be that and, and to be that for his hometown, for his hometown team and, and to do that, you know, in in a time where soccer in this country is really is really reaching a height that that you know even the even the you know craziest of us five ten years ago would have never imagined. <laughs> and so, yeah. I, I think I think when you look at when you look at a guy like Osorio and what he's meant for this club, I think that you know as a club, you should do whatever you can to make sure that that these guys are respected and honored for the service that they've given the club and. At the same time, part of that part of that respect and honor is is listening to what they want, and if they want a different challenge in their career, if if he wants to test himself somewhere else, which is, you know, something that wasn't always available to Canadians back in the day, then then I think you have to respect that and and know that you know ten years with uh, with TFC is is something I don't think we're going to see a lot of players do um, in the future. I, I think that this might have been a bit of the 
an anomaly of a very particular time for soccer in North America, where it was, it was a little bit isolated from the rest of the world. And, and, you know, who knows how, how long that's going to last. And so, you know, John has been, uh, you know, I remember being in the stands when, when he was making his first debuts. I think I remember watching him score either his first goal or his first home goal against the Red I Bulls. I distinctly remember his first goal, yeah. It was it was against the Red Bulls, right? A little, a little Yeah, I believe so, yeah. On the top of the box that sort of sailed over a crowd. And, and yeah, I, and I'm pretty sure I was sitting beside, uh, you know, some of his high school friends because everyone lost their minds. Or at least those five people lost their minds and everyone else was like, who's this Cesario kid? So. Uh, he's as he's as TFC as anybody has ever been, and and I think uh, the way that you show respect to a guy like that is is you find out what they want and, and find out a way to make that possible. It would be a, if TFC were to lose him, it would be a, a pretty massive hole. I mean, I, I think I'm not the first one to say that he's probably a future captain of this club, and uh, he's been as valuable as pretty much any piece. You know, everyone. Everyone talks about Jovinko and they talk about Alphador and they talk about Bradley and, you know, Justin Morrow and all the number of guys that have come in and really been massive forces for this side. And all the while, Oso has been there. And, and I think this isn't this isn't my original point, but um, I can't remember who, who made this point most succinctly. But, you know, every year TFC would bring somebody in who was meant to, to take Osorio's spot. And every year he has battled back and he has won those minutes for himself. And so he's a guy that, uh, that has made a career for himself at a time when, it, when that wasn't always visible for a lot of players. And so if he were to leave, TFC would, uh, would be losing a massive piece. But, you know, they lost a massive piece in the offseason with, with Richie Larea, a guy who could have been that next Osorio, and, and he wanted to go and test himself and, and, you know, we haven't seen Richie uh, take to the pitch yet at, uh, at Nottingham Forest, but I'm sure that I'm sure that he's going to find success over there when he does. So it's uh, it's sort of the nature of pro sports that that as much as you uh, you want somebody to stay forever, that's just not the way that these things sort of go. So, you know, it's going to be uh, another one of those uh, stories that we're watching all year and one of those conversations we're constantly having. Yeah, and and I think you know, look, the the goal was well taken. The the fact that you know, in a moment where we needed, you know, we really need to step up. He was the one who wins the second ball, which the team, you know, this is another thing that I, I thought that the team is sort of getting a little bit better at, but struggle with a little bit at the beginning is winning second balls, and he wins that second ball. He gets that uh, the ball to Pozuelo. Pozuelo makes the pass that I mentioned earlier to Petrasso, and then. The fact that he starts the play and then just is able to see it all develop in front of him and make that run and that late run into the box, which he is so great at. Um, I remember a goal he scored, I think, against the Galaxy at home back in 20, so been 13, 14, I think. Um, and he makes that sort of, I don't want to say Frank Lampard run because that, I mean, it's there's a reason it's called the Frank Lampard run, but like, you know, just making that late run into the box and in finding, um, you know, finding space and, and getting to that ball and, and getting a goal. Um, you know, I, I don't that those things are really hard to replace. You know, there's there there's certain guys that have that knack to be able to do that and do it at the right times. Um, and, and you don't you, like I said, you just don't get a lot of those guys. And I think you. I think as a club, unless he expressly desires that, hey, I, I really have this opportunity to either go to Europe or, you know, maybe even if it's Mexico and he wants to do that, 
um, and test himself at another level, then you got to keep him. You got to find a way uh, to keep him because, you, you know, and obviously I'm talking from a fan perspective, but, you know, to to continue to take a club from just being sort of an or a franchise of being just an entity into a club, uh, you need players like that, that personify what it means to be a Toronto FC player. A lot of people prescribe that to Michael Bradley, rightfully so. Um, but in many ways, I think that person is really Jonathan Osorio. Uh, and and you, you talk to the young players about how they talk about Jonathan Osorio. And, you know, he's that guy that they watched. Um, become sort of the guy who was young Canadian from Brampton, you know, get into the first team, struggle a little bit, find his way back, and now is literally undroppable. And is and to me, if not the future captain, to me, he's, he kind of can almost be the captain right now, all due respect to Michael Bradley. Um, so I think if, if you know, if, if, there's a, if there's even a hint that he's like, yeah, I want to be that one club man, you have to make it happen. Am I, am I sort of right in thinking that, or maybe I'm wrong in thinking that way? But that that's kind of how I see it. No, I think, and and one of the other aspects about Oso that's always been fascinating to me is that he's not a guy who rests on his laurels. You know, he's he's constantly looking to improve himself as a player and and as a leader too. We spoke to him a little bit about that earlier this year about you know with so many young guys, young Canadian guys around. How is he sort of navigating that? And he's entering that phase of his career where he's not quite, he's a veteran, but he's not quite an older player yet. You know, he's sort of on that cusp. And I know, you know, John Herdman has, has three sort of groups within the national team that he, that he leans on. And there's the veterans, you guys like Atiba and, and Milan Borian and those, and those sort of guys. And then they've got, I think they call them the in-betweeners and it's guys like Oso and Sam Piet and, and, you know, John's been, been challenged by Herdman to, to really step up and, and be a, a leader, both emotionally and, and, and just in terms of, of the group all being on the same page. And so, you know, if, if you have a guy like that who has that potential, especially if the direction you want to go in as a club is, is being able to develop young players, then, then guys like Oso are, are invaluable. And, you know, something that, something that you said sort of sparked this off in my head was uh, I wonder how much of the, the difficulty that we've seen TFC have in terms of building through the midfield is, is that, you know, Marky Delgado was such a key piece of that for so many years. And everyone around him was so used to having him there to play that, that quick one-two ball, that one-touch passing in the midfield. And, and when you no longer have that guy, you no longer have that, that option there. It takes some time for, for that to, to leave your automatic response memory. And so, you know, replacing a guy like Oso would be would be pretty difficult, but I know the team has a, a lot of faith in a lot of the prospects they've got coming through, and so I don't know. You never know. You, you can never say never in this game. It's just what I'll go back to the uh, what happens tomorrow, what's possible, what what presents itself is is always uh, you know something that we'll find out with a press release soon enough. You know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, we've been almost going for an hour here, so we'll, we'll wrap up on these, uh, last two points and, uh, I'll sort of give a last call to the room. If there's any questions for James or anything you want to discuss, 
um, in regards to yesterday's 2-1 win over DC United. Hit that request, uh, Mike Button, and we'll get your thoughts in. But um, first, I, I, this is sort of a cheesy thing that I like to do, but uh, and taking a page out of the hockey book. Um, but, you know, if you could name a three stars for yesterday's match, James, um, you know, who would those three players be for yourself? And then I'll kind of name my three. Yeah, I'm just going to keep it super simple, and it's Petrasso, Pozuelo, and Osorio. I mean, it's, it's yep. hard to look past what Petrasso's brought to this group. You know, Pozuelo scores a goal and picks up an assist, and is looking more like the Pozuelo that we saw that first season he came over and uh, tore the league up and played, like, 187 games in 300 days or something. something like <laughs> yeah. that. And then Osorio, just for, for, you know, finding a way – to get this team a win. And I think it was a win that they really needed. And that, you know, it was a pretty lovely finish too. sliding in at the back post. I, w- I wasn't sure he was going to get it. One of my uh, colleagues up in the press box was wondering if uh, the slick pitch might've helped him out a little bit there with just the uh, slip and slide backslide <laughs> yeah. going on there. So yeah, those are my three, but I'm curious to hear yours as well. Yeah. Mine isn't too much different, but it is slightly different. So I do have Petrasso and Osorio um, as my, as my first two Petras in that order. Uh, uh, Petrasso, I, I think is really, is really providing um, a bit of dynamicism and I'm totally butchering that uh, pronunciation, but uh, you know, essentially he's providing that on the left-hand side, whether as a wing back or as a winger. Um, and I think, you know, we, we, we've needed a bit of that. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting what happens when Jacob Schaffelberg gets fit again, you know, how they present that, or if they decide that that's a really great sort of pairing on that left-hand side uh, for the two to connect. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of potential there in terms of that connection. Osorio, the goal um, combativeness in the midfield, connecting with Pozuelo with Jimenez as well. I know Jimenez didn't get the goal, had a really great header in the first half that I think he should have kept down, but um, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I, I thought in that second half, especially was really important in terms of just keeping the team calm, keeping possession, uh, keeping some defensive solidity in the midfield. Um, and then I will have Carlos Salcedo as my third star. And, and I think that, you know, um, at, at the back, I thought he was really, really immense, made some really key tackles, um, but more his distribution and passing from the back. I thought was really important, especially with a back three being that central person in that back three. Um, you know, I thought he was, he was pretty strong uh, in, in yesterday's game. Um, and and th- those are my three stars there. And I, and I thought that, um, you know, Pozuelo was a very close, um, you know, very close to making my top three, but uh, I thought I'd give a little love to Carlos Salcedo um, for this particular one. No, that's very fair. That's very fair. Who doesn't love those sliding clearances? He seems to be a big fan of the sliding clearance, and that's always a, a good visual. But uh, yeah, yeah it is. Been, he's been a very, a very solid pickup. And I think, you know, TFC needed a, a real vocal presence on the back line. We saw that from Omar in his first couple months here. And, and we've seen a little bit of it in his first forays here with New England. And I'm not sure what it was that he sort of lost that year sometimes. You know, I think the last two years were, were tough on a lot of guys. Just, you know, it's hard to get settled in a new place when everything's the way that it's been for two years. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good shout. He's been a, a very good pickup so far. Yes, exactly. You can spend DP monies on DP money on center backs, and it's not a complete uh, waste of money, uh, as some people have been saying. Um, 
and then uh, a look ahead. Obviously, the international uh, break is on us. And uh, for those in the room, we will be doing a post-game, uh, some post-game reaction shows to the men's national team World Cup qualifiers um, over the next week. So stay tuned for those. Those are always fun um, conversations to have, um, especially with the current form the national team is in. Um, uh, but looking ahead past that, obviously, uh, the next game at home is against uh, the defending MLS Cup champions, uh, New York City FC, who are coming off a loss to uh, the Philadelphia Union at Yankee Stadium yesterday. Um, you know, without going too far into a scouting report, uh, you know, uh, this is this is uh, not an easy start to the season for TFC. Um, you know, they're they're going to be faced with some really good teams um, over the next couple of weeks, including um, a resurgent Real Salt Lake after this NYCFC game. But, you know, what, um, you know, just in terms of having the MLS Cup champions in, you know, what kind of test do you think that uh, provides to uh, Bob Bradley's team? I think it's a it's a good test, and I think it comes at a good time for TFC. You know, we've seen them play, you know, Dallas and, and the Red Bulls and Columbus and D.C. They're all strong teams, and they all have, have their place in the league. But the, I wouldn't count them amongst the top, you know, five, six, seven teams in the league. And NYCFC have been one of those teams for the last five years. They finally got their, their silverware last year and celebrated it with a with a lovely pint-sized banner up there in Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I think um, I think if you were going into this game and you had struggled through your first four matches the way that TFC had and, and you hadn't come out with a win, I think it's it's potentially troublesome because now you're going to be asked to step it up a level. And so getting the three points against DC, I think, will be a good a good boost for the team. And then factor in that it's after the international break, so so TFC can look over these this four game sample size and and sort of pick out the lessons that need to be sometimes you need to take a step away from the action to really sort of let things sink in. And, you know, as I said, these first, these first few matches, there's always that risk of, of guys wearing themselves out a little bit because you haven't quite found your match rhythm. And so you get a little break, you get a little bit of time to digest what's going on. And I think, you know, it's a little bit strange because NYCFC are, are still in the CONCACAF Champions League. I think they have their first, their, the first leg of their semifinal a couple of days after that MLS match. So we're not quite sure exactly what they'll sort of be looking like uh, when it comes to the game time. But, you know, it's always a good day when uh, when the champs come to town and, and it's the chance for you to, to test yourself against one of the teams that's, that's expected to be there or thereabouts again this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to it. I actually think this is a good, as you say, a good test for this team. Um, and I think they play in a way that actually might, suit TFC a bit um, in terms of the way that they want to play and in the way that the the sort of identity, as we talked about earlier, that they're sort of building um, as a squad. Um, but with that, uh, I think we'll wrap it up uh, for today's show. Uh, I want to thank uh, James Grossi again uh, for coming in and giving us his, his insight. Um, you can follow him at Grossi on this uh, bird box that we all uh, frequent. Um, and that's G-R-A-W-S-E-E. -E. Um, read all his pieces. Um, they're they're fantastic. Um, uh, you're still on MLS.com or are you just on the TFC site these days? No, just the TFC these days. But uh, you never know what the future holds, just like uh, just like the transfer market. Uh, we'll see what, uh, what tomorrow brings. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So read his pieces at uh, torontofc.ca. Um, uh, with that, Sean, did you have any last thoughts before we uh, we head out and uh, let everybody enjoy what's shaping to be looking like a nice Sunday? Yeah, it's a beautiful day, so get out there and enjoy that. We've been waiting with this kind of weather. Uh, other than that, um, for all of those who will be going to the game next Sunday, um, I guess that, that'll be our focus this coming week, Canada soccer. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Weather's getting better. Absolutely, absolutely. So we'll have some post-game reactions from uh, the the away legs, and then we'll try to do something on match day next Sunday um, at BMO Field. Both Sean and I will be there. Uh, James, are you actually are you going to be at the match on Sunday? I will. I will. I will be uh, there awesome. for, uh, for Canada Jamaica. Should be a pretty epic day. Yeah. Well, that could be uh, clinch day, inauguration day, wherever we want to call it. Um, it's going to be a fun time at BMO field, I think, uh, next Sunday. Uh, so, uh, other than that, just, uh, look out for the spaces announcement. Um, thank you everybody for taking some time on a Sunday to listen to us, um, and recap Toronto C's two, one win over DC United, the first three points of the 2022 season. Uh, my name is Mike Newell. You can follow me at football saves. Um, Sean, thank you for jumping on as well. Uh, you can follow Sean at Sean Anthony Levy, uh, on, uh, Twitter. Um, but other than that, guys have a great Sunday. Enjoy the week. Uh, and we'll be back talking a little Canadian men's national team um, during the week. On that, take care, everybody.